All right, why don't you turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, please. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 13 to 15. The message entitled, A Thankful, or, yeah, Thankful Heart. In my glasses, I saw the wrong thing here. But uh, Paul has um, reiterated to the Thessalonians at this point the fact about the day of the Lord and the man of sin. They had been deceived by, uh, by letter, by prophecy, or by teaching. We're not sure. He gives the three there in the opening verses. And um, the middle section uh, is the very heart of this letter, as you know, the, the main reason for writing the epistle from verse 1 to 12 of chapter 2. All this information was not new to them. He had told them about them, and he tells them that in verse 1 through 3. Then uh, he reproves them in verse 5 by saying, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And then Paul described the deceptiveness of the Antichrist, the extent of those deceived, and along with their condemnation for following him from 9 to 12. So the whole thing is the day of the Lord when he's coming back. Uh, the day of the Lord, remember, occupies, and it's not only an event that happens at a set time, but it occupies a period of time. So the day of the Lord from the Jewish perspective is when the tribulation begins. The rapture takes place at the same time. Russia attacks Israel, Ezekiel 38, 39. And then the period of the day of the Lord runs through the seven-year tribulation as well as the millennial kingdom. So there's different events in that period. And we've gone through that. And they had been deceived. They knew better, but they fell to this lie. And uh, Paul is rebuking them. So now at this point, as he's done that, Paul declares a threefold thanksgiving for the salvation of the Thessalonians. In spite of, you know, as a parent spanking your children, you love them, right? And you thank God that they're your children, right? <laughs> and so he turns it around right here. Um, and, and he gives here the threefold thanks. Let me read verses 13 through 15. He says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit on behalf and belief of the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the tradition which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. And so the threefold declaration here of thanksgiving for the salvation of the Thessalonians is marked, first of all, by the expression of thanksgiving in the first part of 13. Secondly, we have the explanation for the thanksgiving, the rest of 13 and 14. Then we have the exhortation due to the thanksgiving in verse 15. He begins it with the expression of thanksgiving. And, and um, as we're ready to celebrate thanksgiving, there are so many things as we move through this that it's so easy to just become complacent and to just become complainer and murmur and to just, and, 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 and not to be thankful. It's the easiest thing to do. And so here again, Paul focuses on the thankfulness that we are to be as Christians. So the expression of thanksgiving, notice in 13, the person, the Apostle Paul, uh, was thanking God for, for was God himself. 
but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. Paul pointed out the sharp contrast of the Thessalonians notice to those who had just he has just mentioned. The word but marks the contrast. Those who will be uh, receiving um, the Antichrist, um, they reject the love of the truth uh, that they might be saved, as he said in verse 10. Uh, and those who have received the love of the truth at this point, the Thessalonians. And he contrasts the difference. Now, notice Paul stated their missionary sentiment. We, the personal pronoun being emphatic, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. There's an agreement in this. And Paul and his co-laborers here acknowledge a debt to God for the Thessalonians' salvation. The word they're bound. Uh, the verb form indicates a sense of continual obligation to give thanks with the idea of owing. The word is used for paying a debt or obligation. Paul used it once before for the growth of their faith and love in chapter 1 of this letter, verse 3. And of course, the word thanks needs no explanation. It simply means to be grateful. And sometimes... Um, we um, take things for granted, the most valuable things, whether it be our health, whether it be our wife or our husband, our children, um, the church you go to, that you have God's word, uh, you know, that you're going to be able to go home tonight and turn on the lights and crawl into a clean bed and get up in the morning and be able to shower with warm water. Um, so much that we can just um, become sort of um, used to and almost demanding for more in many different ways. Um, their thoughts about their salvation here caused the apostles to be gripped with a sense of gratitude to God for them. Um, they were gripped with the incredible miracle of sinners having been saved by grace because God is holy and we're all sinners and we're all fall short of the glory and the miracle and the thankfulness to God for having saved the Thessalonians. Notice Paul and his co-labors were men characterized as those acknowledging God as the source of all spiritual things. The word God feels refers to the Father, not to Jesus Christ here. The Father is the source of of the plan of salvation, he gives thanks to God here. Jesus is the channel by the phrase, by the Lord, to distinct persons. And the word always means at all times with the idea whenever they prayed. He said this in the first letter, chapter 1, verse 2. He said it in the second letter, chapter 1, verse 3, as he opens up. So in other words, there are times when you tell people, I'll be praying for you constantly. It doesn't mean that you're praying every minute or every hour, but whenever you pray or they come into your mind, you lift them up in prayer because they're in your heart, they're in your mind, you're aware of circumstances, and this is the idea. What motivates you for this is your awareness of your debt to God and your gratefulness to God and the thankfulness that He has saved someone who was headed for hell. Someone was totally an enemy of God and he gave him an opportunity to become a citizen, a son, and a daughter of heaven. That's an amazing miracle that we can just kind of bypass so easily through the years. 
We understood God uses men. Some plants, some water, but God gives the increase, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7. Sometimes we can get caught up with the man or with the church or whatever it is, and we forget that it's God's doing the whole work, not the man. Men and women are just vessels, and we thank God for those people, and we pray for them, and, and we honor them and their obedience and their faithfulness, their humility. But the ultimate one is God, His goodness to do all this. So they understood Jesus and the words of Jesus when He says, Without me, you can do nothing in John fifteen five. There is absolutely nothing that I can do apart from Jesus Christ. There's absolutely nothing. There's not in me one good thing. If I'm not fully persuaded of that, then I will depend upon my own flesh, my own abilities, my own talents, my own creativity, my own whatever. And uh, man is pretty creative, and you can do a lot of different things, but uh, you will come short. You, You will not be able to do the things that God called you to do at all or myself. Now, the evidence of thankfulness in the twofold um, letter is overwhelming. Um, the word always is used regarding this in the first letter, verse chapter 1, verse 2, and in the second letter, chapter 1, verse 3, and 2.13. Um, without ceasing is stated in chapter 2, verse 13 of the first letter. For their sake, in chapter 3, verse 9 of the first letter, and in everything in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Those are the words that are used throughout for prayer. So prayer was a big part of thanking God and all of that. Always thankful in prayer. Prayer is uh, not only just asking, but it's being grateful and thankful to God. There is, you know giving thanks, there's petitions, there's intercessions, there's many things that that involve prayer. Notice the persons the Apostle Paul thanked God for were those who were family. He says, brethren, beloved by the Lord, or beloved by the Lord. So Paul acknowledged the Thessalonians had been born into the family of God. You cannot join the family of God. You cannot sign your name on a scroll and because you sign in a in a records of a church that you are a, a member of the church that there's no guarantee that your name's written in heaven. It's when you're born again. You're born into the family of God where you repent of your sins. You ask him to forgive you and he gives you new life and he makes you his child by grace through faith as you respond to the word of God. The word brethren, as you know, means literally from the same womb. Found 19 times in the first letter of Thessalonians. Nine times in this second letter. The apostle and his co-laborers were their equals, not their superiors. This is important. It's easy to do. When we were down there in Colombia, I was just sharing in leadership. I said, you know... Uh, we're to be servants of all. And what happens, everybody begins as a servant, but then they become lords of all. And because of your seniority, your time or accomplishments or how much God has used you, people just automatically uh, become entitled with this authority as if people have to bow to them. We are all servants of God. And we should remain there. Jesus says, you call me Lord, and, 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 and it's right, but... 
why don't you obey me? And what happens is that we, we become an authority in ourselves if we're not careful. And yet here Paul the Apostle realized that, um, you know, they're, they're not better, they're not superior. Um, they were sinners like the Thessalonians, all three of them, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Both Jew and Gentile had to repent, be born again. They had a sinful nature. They had to accept Christ. They had to receive a new nature to be in the family of God, to please God, to obey God, and to realize that you are a servant to those who are in the family of God. Notice Paul and his co-laborers also felt a close family tie to those born in the kingdom in that God used them to preach the gospel to the Thessalonians. That privilege, perhaps you have led someone to Christ and God opened doors for you to share the gospel and you led somebody in the sinner's prayer and, and the joy that you know in having talked to them afterwards or during between the time, whatever length took to minister to him or whatever or her, and, you, and you've got some information, you realize the, the type of lifestyle they're coming out of and maybe some of their background and, and you just thank God that they're now saved and that, that God has been so merciful to them. And, and you feel that the connection um, that God has led you to them and, and, and they will look to you also as um, being obedient to God, that you took that time to minister, to preach the gospel. Uh, that gratitude from both ends is so important. But also in that they had been forced to leave by persecution, and they didn't know if the Thessalonians would fare out well. They were chased down. They didn't know what would happen to them. And then in that Timothy had returned with the good news that they, were, they had persevered and their faith was contagious. <laughs> and couldn't wait to see Paul again. Um, incredible. Notice Paul acknowledged the Thessalonians were loved by the Lord. They were identified as the object of God's love here. The word beloved indicates divine love of God without respect of person. And God always loves. God loves every sinner. God loves the most rottenest person in the entire world. And when they repent, God doesn't love them anymore. Now God can bestow the benefit of his love. God loves sinful man, but he can bestow his benefit of his love because God cannot do anything with sin. He cannot have anything to do with sin. But when sinners repent, then God can bestow the benefit of his love. You as a parent, your kid gets out of hand, you love him. You want to do the best for them. You want to help them out. You want to form them and shape them so they can be an asset to society. But when they get a little tweak, they get a little cocky in that, um, you love them, but you don't, you don't want to give them a hug. You want to give them a bear hug and put them out um, because they're, they're not being respectful. They're not being honorable, right? And so God with sin is the same way. There has to be that putting away for sin so he can bless them. So God, God doesn't love me any more than he does um, a drug addict or a prostitute or, or a homosexual or a fornicator right now. And God wants to forgive that sin so he can bestow his, the benefit of his love to them. 
And he has just happened to choose you and I who know Jesus Christ to be that witness, to be that instrument whenever God opens those doors. Someone took that time with you. Someone took that time with me. And um, that's just the way the churches function from the beginning. And it will continue if the Lord tarries. And so in that the Thessalonians were being recipients of the loving care and affection of the older brothers here, if you will, spiritually. So agape is that love, divine love, literally having been love, a participle, perfect middle voice. God is doing this. They received his love directly, the very love that provided his only son as a sin bearer for the world in John 3.16, 1 John 2.2. 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins, not ours alone, but the whole world. I mean, stop and think about it. He didn't die for good people. He died for the ungodly, right? I, I presume we qualify. <laughs> okay. And when did he love me? When I was out there in the world. So his love is not like ours. It's not fickle. But he can't compromise with the sin. He has to get rid of that sin, right? Agape love of God was due to their repentance from their sins. Once that's taken care of, then God can bestow that love. And that's what he's done. And the apostle here and Timothy inside, they're rejoicing. The Thessalonians had... Um, had been and continued to be the recipients of the bestowment of God's love and Jesus, um, through Jesus on them, individually and corporately as a church. You know, individually, each of us receive the grace of God, the love of God and all that, but corporately when we come together and we do outreaches or we have concerts or we go to Mexico or whatever we gather together for study, God is working in the midst of us. He's going to deal with your heart as the word goes forth. He's going to be dealing with your heart and bring other people to kind of start talking with you. And God is going to do something there. Maybe you're going to be able to minister to somebody. They're going to minister to you. You're going to have some things to be praying for other people as you come to church. And that's why um, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a uh, internet church uh, fan. Now, I think that internet is good if you're sick. If you can't get out of the house. Or you've had an emergency, but you are to go to a building, you're to go to the body of Christ and be the church. And today, the church is being transformed into something kind of like a sports activity. And just you sit at home in your comfort. That should never be, ladies and gentlemen. Or now they have screens, right? Pastors, some pastors are so prominent, so important, so powerful that rather than sending out men as pastors to raise up other churches, they just put screens. They rent big buildings and put screens so people can look at them because they are so great. And the angels throw up in heaven. Amazing to me. And so the church within is changing the nature of the church and the definition of the church. It's Yielding to the culture, to the pride of the world. And God help us if we go that way, ladies and gentlemen. The one loving them as the object of his love was the Lord, Kurios, the master and owner of their life. The one who died for them and, and wanted to do the best for them. 
Here Jesus and the Father are God, the first and the second person of the Trinity. You know, an evergreen is always green despite the changes in weather around it. It is green in the heat of summer as well as in the cold of winter, so also our lives are to be characterized by an enduring thankfulness that is unaffected by the changes around us. When the heat of pressure uh, of a pressured week or the deadly coal of pain strikes us, we should stand evergreen, always thankful regardless of what surrounds us as we look to Christ. You know, we are like going through a year. You have fall, winter, spring, and summer. And sometimes you're in the in the season of winter or fall and the sun don't come out too much right now and you're going through some things but spring's around the corner and um, Psalm 1 like a tree planted by the waters um, bringing fruit in its due season it shall not wither do you acknowledge your indebtedness to give thanks to God for the salvation of others as you think through the years that you walk with God, maybe your father, your mother, your friends, your brother or sister, maybe workers uh, at your job, as you've allowed God to use you to minister to them, are you thankful for what God has done and how he's pulled them out of whatever they came out of? Stop and think of what God pulled you out of in the world and where would you be in the years that you've walked with God if you had not been saved? Where would you be? Where would your marriage be? Where, where would you be with your children, your job, your health? You know what I mean? As I, I think about it and I look at it, when God saved me at 23, I wish I, wish I would have got saved at 16, but uh, I didn't. But thank God it was 23. <laughs> but uh, if not, uh, last 44 years, I wouldn't want to be me in the world. There's no way. Psalm 104 says, Enter into his gate with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. You know, we worship for a half hour. You thank him and worship him for all that he's done in your life. You know, Thanksgiving tomorrow, have big turkey and all the stuff with it. And just that you have a home to go to, you have family to be with or friends. Um, people in the world don't have that. We are a blessed nation in spite of us, in spite of all the evil. God's mercy is still among us. Do you ever express to brothers and sisters in the church your thankfulness to God for their salvation? As you've been here for years, how they have enriched your life. How they've blessed you, they've directed you, they've protected you. They've prayed for you. They've come along and helped you lovingly without any obligation, without any indebtedness, without any sense of, of repayment or anything else. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your, in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. We're all one, many members, but one body. Do you give thanks to God as you, are, you see him bless others? are following him or is it just about you even when they are blessed more than you do you rejoice 
And God blesses them. You know, well, you know, if you really knew about them, I would. You know. Do you rejoice? When God uses them more, when God opens doors for them, even when you don't think they deserve it, we're not God, right? God's able to take care of it. It's important. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. If you don't think this is a, a true axiom, a true principle, um, just go home tonight and, and grab a hammer and, and smack your thumb with it and see what the rest of your body does. It will run to its help right away. You're, you hit your left thumb, your right hand's not going to say, that's what you get, stupid, I'm not helping you out. No, you're going to grab that thing before you even think about it. That's the picture of the body, ladies and gentlemen. Okay? And uh, it's a very clear illustration that, that should not be missed, but it's missed all the time in every generation. Thankful. The expression of thanksgiving was viewed as a personal obligation. Notice, secondly, the explanation for thanksgiving, the rest of 13 and 14. The Apostle Paul specified his gratitude about the plan of God for their salvation. He said, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. So Paul stated, the person behind the plan, God the Father, the divine side. There's two sides to it. We'll see. Paul stated the person here, um, God, Theos, the subject, and, and, it's, and it's emphatic here, um, placed after the uh, verb here, chose, um, Again, it's in the middle voice making God the one acting and the recipient of the action. This is the God side, the divine side. The errorist tense makes it a past fact as Paul told them in his first letter. He says, knowing, beloved brethren, your election of God, 1 Thessalonians 1, 4. The creator of heaven and earth, the creator of Adam and Eve, the one who sought Adam and Eve to cover their sin. He's the one. Notice Paul stated the point in time of the plan from the beginning. The word beginning um, means commencement. But commencement of what? Is it the beginning of time? Is it the beginning of their lives? Is it the beginning of the age of grace? If you look at the context, the beginning is, um, it refers to nothing less than from eternity past the point in time of God's redemptive plan the plan and determined purpose of God's choosing he chose us in him in Christ before the foundation of the world Ephesians 1 4 now this troubles some people this brings a lot of weird theology because it's only one side of the coin that we're looking at as we'll see the personal choice was for salvation. Notice, there are many words in the scripture related to God's choosing. Election, predestination, and ordain. The choosing of God is based on his foreknowledge, as you know. 
elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. First Peter 1 Peter 1.2 tells us. Foreknowledge simply means to know beforehand only God has this attribute, Acts 2.23. God's omniscient, he's all-knowing, and his foreknowledge is an extension of his omniscience. His omniscience is greater. He can't learn. He can't know anything new. And this foreknowledge is simply knowing before what's going to happen. It's an extension of his omniscience. God's choosing is based on his perfect knowledge and wisdom and perfect righteousness. All of his attributes, as we studied them, if you remember, they're unto perfection. Whenever he attributes to perfection, you cannot make any mistake. You can't learn. You can't be surprised. So we can understand those things in the words that we communicate in the English language, but we can't comprehend them fully because to us, we can only go so far. And maybe some people would even think, well, if you can't learn anything, nothing would be surprised. What a boring life. Well, you know, again, you're human. I'm human. He's God. <laughs> He's the creator. We're the ones that were created. <laughs> So we can't even get into those uh, aspects of thought. Therefore, the choosing of God is in salvation can never be with any partiality, injustice, or forced on the individual, for God never violates man's free will. God never forces any person or has forced any person to be saved. God respects your choice. You have all the right to go to hell, but you don't have to. He'd rather you repent. But if you're stubborn enough, you, you have all the right to go to hell. It will break his heart. And if you work hard enough, you may end up there. But you don't have to go there. But he initiates and the sinner responds. Always. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says, For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient of time, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. Anybody can stand up and say that? Please stand up so we can laugh. After chapter 40 of Isaiah, God says, I'm God, there's no other. I've cruised up and down the universe. I've never bumped into any other God. But if you're out there, tell me the things before they happen. So when they happen, I can declare you God. Over and over again, from 40 to the 66. No one took him up on it. <laughs> Amazing. Paul put it this way. Those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. Underline that. If you believe you're predestined... There must be that you're being conformed to the image of Christ. If there's no image of Christ, end of predestination. Simple. Any attempt to reconcile divine election and human responsibility is futile. God always initiates. Man always responds. Always. Moody put it this way. There are two parallel lines in this side of heaven that we don't know how they cross. And when we get to heaven, we'll know exactly how they cross. Notice the Apostle Paul spelled out the process regarding God's plan of salvation there in 13 through sanctification by the Spirit and belief of the truth. So Paul stated the method of God by the setting apart of an individual here. This is still the divine side. 
The word sanctification means to set apart the context being prior to salvation. Literally, in, not through, in the Greek. God begins to deal with an individual for salvation prior to salvation as they are exposed to the gospel. Somebody may be listening to the gospel, whether it be here or over the internet or the radio, and they don't know Christ, and the gospel goes forth, and the Holy Spirit is dealing with their heart that they repent, and he's dealing with them to illuminate, to give them light over their sin and their lostness, as he did with your life and mine. That's the miracle and the grace of God. John Wesley called this prevenient grace as God began to move the individual to justification to be saved, trusting the atoning work of Jesus Christ. That salvation is positional sanctification, justified in the work of Jesus Christ. Then after we're born again, we have practical sanctification as he imparts to us. His righteousness is imputed to us for justification, and then his righteousness is imparted to us so we can live the life of Christ. Two different aspects. And that includes everything in our life. He's already told them in the first letter, chapter 4, 3 through 8, that he wanted their sexual purity to now be unto the Lord and not to live as the Gentiles did before. And uh, their body, soul, and spirit would be presented blameless at the coming of Christ in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. So it's not just, we're not just religious, we just don't, you know, live unto God on Sunday morning, but every day of the week, and we hand our whole life to the Lord, and we live different than we did before. You know, we're no longer carousing out there and um, being immoral and different things as we used to live because he's changed our heart. And we, we are thankful that God has changed us. As Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I repented. I don't regret that I repented. I'm glad I repented. I'm glad that I turned around. I'm glad that I asked forgiveness. I'm glad that he saved me and changed my life. Notice Paul stated the means, it's twofold, by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity who carries out the divine plan of God. The representative of the person of Jesus Christ, he doesn't glorify himself, he never speaks about himself. John 14, 16, 16, 13. There's a lot of time Christians and churches get carried away with the Holy Spirit. And they start bringing more attention to the Holy Spirit and glorifying the Holy Spirit, even praying to the Holy Spirit. We never find anything in the Scriptures. The Father is the source, Jesus is the channel, and the Holy Spirit is the agent. And He is the silent witness of Jesus. He never speaks of Himself. He never brings glory to Himself. He doesn't speak anything except confirm and shed light on the words of Jesus Christ. Very, very important. Then notice, secondly, by belief in the truth. The human side now is belief in the truth of God's word, meaning a firm persuasion or conviction by hearing, trusting the revelation of God's word being proclaimed forth. That God became man. That he died for the sins of the world. He rose from the dead. He sits at the right hand of the Father to save sinners. And he will one day come back to receive his church. And then he and his church will come back to set up the kingdom. Believe in the revelation of God. The object of the state of belief is in truth. Notice that. There is no article denoting that what is believed has the quality of truth here. As opposed to deluding error. 
So the, okay, this is absolute truth, the word of God. Sometimes people bring doubt to the word of God, like Satan did to Eve. Has God said? There are many, there's a lot of PhDs down the street here in Fuller Cemetery. And, um, and they are educated. But they do not believe in the inerrancy and infallibility of the scriptures. They believe that there's errors in the word of God. Well, if that's it, then who's going to tell me which ones are inspired and which ones are not? If I can't be fully sure in all that's in the word of God, am I to believe a PhD or am I to believe Jesus Christ who said that not one jot or one tittle will fail from the scriptures? Am I not to believe 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and that the men of old did not speak of their own impulse or origin but they were carried along by the Spirit of God in 2 Peter chapter 1, 19-21? I'll go with Jesus any day. <laughs> Very important. It's not my own ability to entrust myself to God by a mere intellectual decision but open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit of my sins to transform my heart as he said in 1 Thessalonians 1.5 and 1 Corinthians 2.4 and many other passages. As we hear the gospel. Look at verse 14. The apostle Paul pointed out the purpose about God's plan for salvation. To which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul said um, for calling men and women by the gospel. This is still the divine sight. The gospel is the good news of God has made the way a redemption for mankind. There's no other way man can be saved. There's no other way man can be forgiven of their sins, as you know. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God in Romans ten, seventeen. It's interesting, people get a little upset when you mention things, especially academic places. Or you get a little weird with morality. And they just can't take it. It's amazing to me. We're living in a day and age, ladies and gentlemen, that our faith is going to be tested. Your Christianity is going to be tested. Guaranteed if the Lord tarries in America and the world. Anything is tolerated except the Christian Judeo principle today. And you must be grounded, you must be stable, you must know the word of God, and you must trust and depend upon the Lord, not your pastor, not your elders, not anybody, but the Lord Jesus Christ. For he will make you sufficient to stand. Very, very important. It's called the gospel of Christ, the gospel of God, the gospel of salvation. Our gospel, he says right here. Is it your gospel? Or do you just read about it? God would want to make it your gospel. It's yours. Notice Paul said, For the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, of God has chosen to impart to man the glory of his Son. Glory, doxa, wide application of the scriptures, having the basic idea of honor, dignity, splendor, uh, resulting in awe, the glory of God. A work that only God can do in us and through us. The plan of the Father and the desire of Christ is to share with man his particular honor and dignity, his life with us. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father by me. Notice God desires to change us by transforming us here and now. John the Baptist says he must increase, but I must decrease. There's a contrast there, John 3.30. How far have I come since I've accepted Christ? If I'm 20 years in the Lord, am I 20 years grown, developed, and matured? Or am I 20 years in the Lord, but I'm a 10-year-old in the Lord? Where am I? God wants me to be stretched and to grow. The transformation day by day by the glory of God, by the Spirit of God, as 2 Corinthians 3.18 says. Notice God desires and will change us totally one day with a glorified body. Paul says, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, that is, may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. And so those who have been buried, those bodies will be raised. If you are alive when that happens, the rapture, you will be transformed as you're going up. And we will be caught up together with them. Who's them? The horny toes and lizards? No. The bodies in the grave. The many you die as a Christian, you're instantly present before the Lord. Second Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. But your body goes to the ground. When the rapture takes place, then we will be caught up together with them. And Jesus and all those who have gone before will be coming down to the clouds. And those bodies will be going up. And they will be joined in their glorified body. Ours will be transformed as we're going up. And we'll go back up to heaven for the seven years. The marriage supper of the Lamb. The judgment seat of Christ. Then we'll come back for a thousand year honeymoon. Okay? Know the schedule. Alright? When Christ was our life appears then. You also will appear with him in glory, Colossians 3, 4 says. But those who reject Jesus will be punished and removed from the presence of the glory of Jesus. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 said. When he comes in that day to be glorified in the saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed, he says in chapter 1 of this letter, verse 10. They had embraced the gospel. The gospel had affected them. They had hope. There is no message. There is no message of hope in this world apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Absolutely none. The world will teach you to be successful, to be perverse, to be deceptive, to be a go-getter. And you can have the most toys and the most money and have the, as many women as you want or men or whatever it is, but you will still be empty and alone. The only thing that can bring fulfillment to your life and mine is the gospel of Jesus Christ that offers the greatest hope so that you're able to experience and enjoy life the way he intended it in all of our fallenness, ladies and gentlemen. That's the miracle. Corrie Ten Boom in The Hiding Place relates an incident that taught her always to be thankful. She and her sister Betsy had just been transferred to the worst German prison camp they had seen yet. 
uh, Ravensbrock. On entering the barracks, they found them extremely overcrowded and flea-infested. That morning, their scripture reading in 1 Thessalonians had uh, reminded them to rejoice always, pray constantly, and give thanks in all circumstances. Betsy told Corey to stop and thank the Lord for every detail of their new living quarters. Corey, at first, flatly refused to give thanks for the fleas, but Betsy persisted. And Corey finally succumbed to her pleading during the months spent at the camp. They were surprised to find out how openly they could hold Bible studies and pray with meetings without the guards interfering. It was not until several months later that they learned the reason the guards would not enter the barracks was because of the fleas. If you don't know who Corey Tamboom is, look her up on the internet. <laughs> Real life, ladies and gentlemen, that woman went through a horrible, horrible experience in the World War II. Her whole family killed and everything, and yet she came out and she forgave that guard that she confronted that she knew had murdered her father and mother and everything. Now, who is sufficient for that? No one, except the person who yields to Christ and denies himself and follows him daily. And when that person does that, that person thanks God. They do not thank themselves. Hmm. Are you thankful to God for your plan of salvation towards you, that he chose you? We're always trying to figure it out. How is it that he did it? And so you hear the thing of Calvinism, Armenianism, and eternal security, and you can lose your salvation. You know what? God initiates, you respond, just make sure you abide. Listen to the words of Jesus, okay? If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. John fifteen six. Question. Who is he talking to? The dirty dozen. His 12 apostles. Do you think Jesus was kidding? Do you think he was embellishing here? Do you think he was lying? Abide in Christ Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. Do not take vacations from Jesus. Stay in the boat. There's a storm out there. Stay in the boat. The boat belongs in the water. It's when the water gets in the boat that the boat gets in trouble. The divine and human sides are complementary, not violating or contradicting one another. The two are legitimate in the mind of God. Acts 13.48 says, Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. Now, Cook's commentary reads, and listen carefully, the AV, the authorized version of the Old King James, which is the text from the received text from Antioch, where Paul first went to, has, the, um, has followed the Vulgate. It says, rather, it should read, were set in order for 
disposed for eternal life, as in Syriac, and repeatedly in Josephus, as many as had placed themselves in the ranks of those who welcome the offer of eternal life. Once again, what appears to be God forcing somebody is not at all. God initiates. We respond. People can, if you can receive the gospel, you can also reject the gospel. Okay? Don't get caught up with these people that tell you that you're predestined and you can't do anything about it. And if God is predestined, you're going to be in heaven and there's nothing you can do. And if he's predestined you to hell, there's nothing you can do. Does that sound like a fair God to you? Does that sound like a God of grace and love? So you're going to take your wife out after this, and you're going to take her out tomorrow for Thanksgiving. You don't want to be at home. You take her to the restaurant, and you say, okay, whatever you want to eat, okay? And the waitress comes up and says, okay, ma'am, what would you like? And you say, you give her just a glass of water and a hard piece of bread. Well, I thought you were going to give her a choice. Would you be a loving husband? Of course you wouldn't. Now, you want to carry that over to God? You're preaching another, another gospel. You're preaching another God. Not the God of the Bible. It's amazing to me. How about the process? Are you excited about the changes? Or are you gripped with uh, complaining always? Do all things without complaining and disputing, Philippians 2.14 says. It's easy to do. Welcome to the club. Club carnal, 100% beef. Our sin nature just loves itself. That's why self-esteem just blossomed from the 70s on. We're so highly self-esteemed, we're, I'm surprised we're not puking all over ourselves. People have so much confidence in the human race today. What a mess it's in. It's not a national problem. It's not a regional problem. It's not a state problem. It's a worldwide problem. Our light afflictions are incomparable to the exceeding eternal weight of glory that God has promised us in Second Corinthians four sixteen through eighteen. The things that are seen are temporal. The things that are not seen are eternal. How thankful are you and I to God for His purpose? Blessing us with glory associated with Jesus Christ. Have you just thought about that he's giving you his spirit that resides in your body? You have the mind of Christ. You have the word of God. You have his promise to be just like him one day. Wow. The explanation for thanksgiving was in view of their transformation. Paul had seen it. He was rejoicing over it. How I rejoice over so many of you as I've seen you come into the church. Some of you I've known for over 40 years. You've heard me more than you need to. <laughs> Amazing to me. This is the biggest amazement to me every time I stick my head out that people still come. No one's more shocked than me, ladies and gentlemen. No one. Notice thirdly, verse 15, the exhortation. 
do to be thankful. The Apostle Paul declared as his conclusion that the believer is to have a certain posture. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Paul stated the believer is to have stability in their salvation. This is the human side, depending on the Lord. But this, God won't do this for you. You have to call upon him. You have to trust him. You have to yield to him. Paul stated the believers to have stability in their salvation. The phrase stand fast means to be stationary, steadfast, immovable, to persevere in the present imperative indicating continual duties. They were to stand fast in view of the glory of Jesus appearing, as he said in 1 Thessalonians 1.10. Are you looking? Are you looking for the coming of the Lord every day? Do you believe that he can come right now? Are you praying for his coming? Are you expecting his coming? They were to stand fast against the deception and persecution that was going on that he spoke about in verse 2 of chapter 2. Notice Paul stated this posture of steadfastness has to be decided on by each person that comes to Christ. Man's free will is never violated prior to salvation nor ever after salvation, as I said. Every person that stands before God will determine exactly where they will spend eternity. God does not do that. He gave his son for the whole world. And that decision is made while you're living, not after you die. Anybody gives you hope after you die, they're a thief and a robber and a liar. Get away from them. Man's choice and his choices are honored by God always. Notice the Apostle Paul declared as his conclusion that the believer is to have a certain passion. Hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Paul stated the believer is to hold to the traditions they were taught. This is the human side again. Okay? If it happened automatically, he wouldn't have to tell them, right? It's simple. If, if everything happens automatic and God is predestined, there's nothing I can do and it's going to happen then why, why the exhortation? Why the reproof? Why are we to judge ourselves? Why are we to correct ourselves? Simple. The word whole means to exact strength, exerting it, be it physical or mental, a masterful grip on something. The phrase in the present imperative indicates a continued duty again. The word is used for holding fast to the head, Christ, who nourishes all the body in Colossians 2.19. The word traditions is a little different than what we're used to. Usually we think of traditions like, you know, your mom bakes cookies a certain time or they set the table a certain way and family traditions of culture that get passed down. But the, the word tradition means that which is handed down and used for the traditions of the elders and their teaching in Matthew 15.2, for Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 11.2, and for the traditions of men in Colossians 2.8, the philosophy, the, the, the ABCs of the world. So the content is going to tell you what tradition is talking about. Here it's talking about the word of God. 
the teaching of the Word of God. You don't mess with that. You don't compromise that. You don't water it down. You don't substitute it. You don't redefine it. You don't just mess it up. You leave it alone and you embrace it and you let it transform you. The article is present in our text to indicate the teaching, the doctrines of Jesus and the apostles. The context is vital for proper interpretation, for human tradition is often contrary to God's truth. Notice Paul stated the tradition of Thessalonians, they were to stand in and hold fast to the teaching received from him and his friends. Paul had established the church as we've seen. Be it by word when they first came to them or the epistles, the two that he had written to them. And he wrote some pretty strong things, you know. Some people, you know, they don't want to pay attention, have nothing to do with them. Some people are, wor- are not working. They don't want to work. When they're able to work, they're healthy to work, then they don't eat. Wow. Pretty strong statements. And it's the word of God. The doctrine of sin, salvation, forgiveness, the doctrine of the coming of Christ, the church. In the context, Paul is directly referring to their present deception. Because of that, you knew it, and yet you allowed yourself to be deceived. Now, question, if Christians cannot be deceived, why does Paul say they were deceived? And why is he warning them? If you prop up a corpse at a mall and you put a person to act naive, careless, who do you think the thief is going to go and try to take things from? Satan and deceivers don't go to dead people. They go to live people in Christ Jesus. So we must always be alert and judge everything by the word of God. Always. They hadn't stood fast. They hadn't held on to the tradition of the teaching that was handed down to them about the day of the Lord. They believed these guys that they were in the day of the Lord. Luther was call to recant his opposition to Rome, but he said, quote, unless I am refuted and convicted um, by testimony of Scripture or by clear arguments, as I believe neither the Pope nor the councils alone, it being evident that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am conquered by the Holy Scripture quoting by me, and my conscience is bound in the word of God, I cannot and I will not recant anything since it is unsafe and dangerous to do anything against the conscience. And that conscience is ruled by the word of God, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. What is your posture in the faith? Are you giving up and withdrawing because of pressure? Are you going backwards or are you going forwards? Are you standing still? If you're standing still, you might as well be going backwards. Have you ever sat in the parking lot and just sitting there? And you're hearing this music or something, and all of a sudden the car next to you starts going backwards. You think you're going forward. You reach for the brake. Okay? If you're standing still, you're going backwards. 
Remember, Peter says, elect according to the knowledge, for knowledge of God the Father. Sanctification of the Spirit. Obedience to sprinkle the blood of Jesus Christ in 1 Peter 1, 2. Paul said, not that I have already attained, already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold for that which Christ has laid hold on me. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Going forward. Are you clinging to the gospel or letting it go? The world will deceive you. Sin will deceive you. Self will deceive you. Satan will deceive you. There's a lot of stuff out there that can deceive us. If we don't have the proper plumb line. The word of God. Your posture and mind of stability and passion for God's word is the greatest evidence of our gratitude to God. Being thankful. Don't be moved away from the gospel. Don't forget our spiritual warfare is a good fight. Worth fighting. Don't forget to be filled with the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God as Ephesians 6, 10 through 11 says. We have so much to be thankful, ladies and gentlemen, today. The exhortation due to thanksgiving was in view of their scriptural passion. Do you have a passion for the word? Do you understand how valuable it is? how important it is and how blessed we are to have the Word of God. Uh, if you've never visited an emergent church, go see one one time. I just heard of a couple who went to one. They walked in the foyer. They had six TVs of the football games on. and Then they walk into the sanctuary and they've got, they're going to hear the pastor, right? A screen comes down and he's somewhere else and they're just listening to that. But they still have the football games going on in the foyer. And the teaching is so watered down. Emergent. Wow. No power, all pleasure. Not decreasing, but increasing in the world and the flesh. Listen, I have never had so much fun in my life than I have the last 44 years being a Christian. I thought sin was fun. That was stupid. It was destructive. <laughs> the S on my chest I thought was stood for Superman. It was stupid. Well, <laughs> I tell you, you live in Christ. You live abundantly, ladies and gentlemen. But it's a warfare. And you must thank God for what he's done for you. And how he's equipped you. And how he's for you and not against you. Every day of your life. And so Paul declared the threefold thanksgiving for the salvation of the Thessalonians. The expression of thanksgiving was viewed as a personal obligation. We should remember that. The explanation for thanksgiving was in view of their transformation. We should make sure and examine that. And the exhortation due to thanksgiving was in view of their scriptural passion. And we should embrace that. Always, ladies and gentlemen. I never get tired of the word. I remember I first started out when I was 12, 13 years old. I'd eat one In-N-Out hamburger. Then I built up to two. How do you get more passion for the word? You must eat. You must eat. You must eat. It's the one thing you can eat 24-7 and never gain weight. 
only wisdom. Tomorrow when you sit around your table, thank God for his salvation and how he's blessed you. That you're able to discern right from wrong, truth from error. How blessed we are, ladies and gentlemen. How blessed I am, and I thank you for being your pastor for 37 years so far. What an amazing thing. That is just amazing. Just amazing. He is so good to us. Father, we worship you. We thank you. Thank you for tonight. And Lord, we just pray that you'd go before us. We pray for those that are less fortunate than us. We pray, Lord, that you make us sensitive to those around us, that you be glorified. So, Lord, I just pray right now as those who are listening over the Internet or here, Lord, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. If you've never accepted Christ, this would be a great time to give your heart to him so that you can be thankful. If you believe that he died for your sins and rose from the dead, you can call upon him right now and he will save you. This is a simple prayer of repentance. If you pray it to him, he will save you right where you're at right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.